everyone. Welcome to the Book Leads Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jermillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that have impacted the lives of people in my network. So these are great leads I'll be interviewing to find those books that have impacted them, contributed to, to who they are as a leader, as a business person, as a worker in their life, whatever it is that they've taken from this book to create value. In this particular series, I go through three categories of books. One category where they tell me about a book that I've never read before. They're schooling me on it. A second book that uh, we've both read, whether specifically for the episode or if we read it in a previous life. And then the third category is authors and publishers trying to get the message out on a book that, um, that they've either written or they have a part in bringing to market. So in this particular episode, it started as a category one where my guest Cornell had mentioned the book. And then I'm like, you know what? This is a book that I've heard about for ages, for whatever reason, never got to as a kid. Uh, so I went out and bought it, but it's still going to be Cornell leading the conversation. But I can just from reading it and knowing his history and what he brings to to his practice, to his business, I can see why he would pick it. But I'll let him get into that. But in the meantime, again, my guest is Cornell Thomas. He's an international speaker, multiple title author, mindset coach, speaker trainer, podcast host, basketball trainer and creator of the Positivity Summit, husband and most importantly, father of two. I had met Cornell. We were just talking about it before I started recording, where uh, we had met each other through a mutual connection. And the first time we talked was two years ago, right? I think the first summer, late spring or, or first summer of when the pandemic started in 2020. And it seems like just yesterday, and we're talking about how just time flies by and it's just this weird construct. But it's amazing, especially Cornell, with the work that you're doing, the impact you left on me when we had that first podcast conversation, what you're up to, what you share, what I see that you're up to uh, on social media and what you're doing in your speaking and all the other work that you're doing. Uh, it's just it's powerful and it's inspiring and motivating for me. So thank you so much first for that. And then second for sitting down with me for this conversation. Man, always a pleasure, brother. I appreciate you having me on here. Thank you, man. And why don't we start with, I gave that brief bio, but tell me a little bit about the work that you're up to today. What What do you find yourself doing in your different projects and your speaking? Can you tell us a little more and just kind of break it down to what you're into these days? Sure. So I would say mainly it's it's speaking and uh, speaker training. So those are what I've been doing the most. I created an online course for people that wanted to get into the world of professional speaking. And I wanted to Really, I first called it the Storytellers Program because like you, I'm obsessed with stories. And there are so many people that are like, man, I want to be able to tell my story. I want to be able to tell my story. And you can go online and there's like 7 million people that are selling like, I'll get you gigs. And you, and my main thing is always no one can get you gigs because you can't suck, right? Like <laughs> if you're horrible at speaking, it, you John can't get me gigs if I'm terrible. Or he can give me one gig and that's it. So <laughs> and I'll never get a gig again. So my goal was to, you know, how can I do something where that's impactful from my living room or from my home office where I can still have that impact being that I'm just doing Zoom speak talk. So I just created this get in the game program and I just started seeing that people were using it, not even just to be speakers, but just to get their voice out. Like they, they're, you know, they, there was a uh, like a block there where they're afraid to tell their story. So I've, I've been doing that. We were in our I'm on my third group right now, which I love. I did seven positivity summits online in the last two and a half years, which wow. is my event where we bring speakers all together. 
And the cool thing about that, the cool thing about it being on Zoom is that, you know, I have someone from Saudi Arabia, someone from Dubai, someone from Australia. Like we have these people from all over the place and we're all kind of in the same like virtual room and hanging out. But as we talked about before we started, you started recording is now that things are opening up. I'm getting to do what I really love, which is go out and be in front of people and connect with people uh, and just kind of not just share my story, but work with corporations on team and culture and, uh, and and do what I do. So what now that we're winding, hopefully winding down with the pandemic thing and things go back to normal. Do you do you visualize having some kind of hybrid positivity summit, whether it's one event that's like in person as well as as live streamed or, or streamed, you know, video conference? Or do you have one that's like all video conference, all one that's all live? Like, how do you because it's it's amazing. You see what the pandemic has taught us, like yeah. the reach that you have. Or I mean, some people already knew, to, knew it, but the rest of us are, are learning what that reach is that you really have. Like, yeah. look at look at all the speakers you brought to your positivity summit just yeah. by having to go virtual. So. Do you envision some kind of hybrid so that you can maintain that kind of connection um, for the people that attend the summit? Or what are you mm -hmm. thinking? Well, so July 29th, we're going to actually do one, John, uh, in, in New Jersey. Okay. Uh, In-person one. I love the idea of having a, a hybrid uh, positivity summit just so I can reach my people that are in the Middle East that couldn't come out to it. But my main goal is, especially the next two years, is to go to these places, right, to do a positivity summit in Dubai to do one in Saudi, in Africa and all these places. Uh, but uh, I think that I think doing it hybrid, it appeases to both sides. You know, the people that maybe are still a little nervous to come out, you know, they can watch it, you know, online. The people that want to come out and like, I've been tied up for two and a half years. Let's get out of here. Right. Let me leave the kids <laughs> home for a second. <laughs> right. Who <laughs> said they, that? They Not me. <laughs> uh, wait. So, so that program, you started it during the pandemic? No, it started before the pandemic. Okay. So I, I ran, we did one in New Jersey, one in New York, one in LA, and one in England. No, uh, I meant the uh, I meant the the online training. Oh, the, yeah. yes, yes. And that the pandemic made me pivot to that because I've always wanted to do one, but I've never had the time. I've never yeah. thought I had the time to do it. And then the pandemic slowed everybody down and had everybody sit down. And I was like, well, why don't I just do it now? It doesn't make sense for me not to do it. And then I when I started teaching it, I fell in love with it. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this is great. So I'll never stop doing that online course uh, just because it's, it's I just see what it's doing for people. And the, and that's the one thing I told people with this pandemic the stuff is like you just got to pivot. Right. It's not easy. You know, it's not easy. And, and by no means diminish what you're going through. Don't diminish what you're going through. Don't think, like, oh, well, this is, you know, Cornell says this is, easy. This is where I stop. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, but you can do it. Like if you wanted to start a podcast and start a podcast now, you can. Right. You have you had time. You had two and a half years of just self-building, going after things that you wanted to go after. And if you're like yourself, John and myself, we're like, OK, how do we flip this? Then you start adding all these different things in your toolbox. But if you sat home and you're like, just felt sorry for yourself or sorry for the conditioners for sorry, then all these opportunities pass you by because now things are opening up again. And guess what? Now people are saying, oh, my gosh, I don't have time. I have to do this, this, this and this. So yeah, yeah. it's just all about pivoting for me. It's awesome what you were saying about people for that program, that it's not only about, I love this. I love when you said that, that it's not only about people that want to be speakers, but it's about people like sharing their story, putting their story together. 
you know, you think about speaking, you think about getting up on stage and exuding confidence, knowing who you are, sharing that, right? As, mm-hmm. as we build our speaking careers, we get a little better at it. You become more natural at it. Most of us need that in life, period, even before getting up on stage, because we're not what I've realized throughout the pandemic, especially through my coaching, is that we are not good at telling our own stories. Mm -hmm. I was hearing more from people. They were opening up more. They were being more vulnerable because it was like, you know, the end of the world. You don't know what's coming. Everybody's virtual. You're in your own environment. So people were opening up more and it was stuff that you were never hearing. But look what it took to get to that a pandemic for people to open up and just share their story. Mm -hmm. You know, typically it's like the facade, the how you doing, the small talk, Mm -hmm. but that passion, who they are, it rarely comes through. Yeah, that's such a great point because we all have a story. You know, I I was telling a friend of mine, I was speaking in Atlantic City uh, two weeks ago, and I was telling a fellow speaker, I said, there's a word, a South African word, um, it's a griot, G-R-I-O-T. And a griot in a village was like the library. Right. He was the storyteller. So everybody would give their stories to the griot when they go out and hunt or when they go out and wherever they would go to the griot and say, this is the story that I have in my life. And the griot would be able to tell the stories to everybody else. He was a storyteller. Now, a griot, you couldn't just become a griot. It had to be in your family line. So when they said a griot passed away, it's almost like a library, you know, shut down. Right. And they pass it yeah. to the next generation, next generation. So we're all essentially griots because we have not just our stories, but stories that have influenced us or impacted us or stories that people have told us that we've kept with us that are have impacted. So it's like, like you're a griot, like you have all these people coming in telling you about stories from of stories that they liked, right? Or their own personal story. And then you're giving that out to the world. So you're a griot, you're a library of stories. I am a library of stories. So I think yeah. it's just a beautiful thing for people to feel comfortable enough finally Right. Even though it took a pandemic for it to say, look, I'm going through stuff. This is hard. I need to share it with someone. And I mean, if you don't share it, a lot of us think differently about what legacy means. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even think I need a legacy where people remember me so much, but I want to make sure that I leave an impact, a ripple effect. Yeah. Um, and some people can look at that, though. You know, if you're not telling your story, your story is going to get lost. So what does that mean to you? Some people may say, hey, listen, I'm just here to live my life. You know, yeah, that's it. When it's done, it's done. Yeah. The rest of us maybe want to leave a ripple effect or, or an effect of some kind on people. So that's that's huge that people can think like that. I I, I, I muted you real quick because my dog is uh, is uh, on crack. No worries. She's, she's barking right now. Listen, uh, don't, but... don't, don't worry about it. I've had a, a, a dog guest on a previous episode. It yeah, okay. It's, it's life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I, I love I love I love what you just said there because it is so true. And I used to wonder why people weren't more conscious of their legacy. I used to like, well, you just want to be here and just then not be here. Yeah. Right. Like you don't want to leave anything back. Like you don't want to make it just a little bit better than when you came. Right. So like I but now I'm like, I respect people for where they are. Like if yeah. you don't, then cool. Then not everybody is John or Cornell and wants to leave something behind. The the other part of that is is that there are so many people that maybe don't want to leave a legacy because they haven't thought about it. But once you bring it up to them or once you introduce that concept, introduce it really because they were just going through their day to day. But then when they start thinking about, okay, maybe I do want to leave something that kind of pivots their mindset 
and it changes them. So there are some people that know, some people that know, but they're like, no, I don't want to do it. And then some others that just need to be introduced to it. So I think all the work that you're doing, especially that online course is, is amazing because it helps people learn that. And it's an option. Yeah. You know, me with coaching, I say, listen, everything I, I guide with is an option. I'm not the end all be all. I'm not the one that says I have all the answers. I want to provide people with considerations, with options, and maybe point them. If they see something that stands out that that changes the way they they move, great. If not, um, it's up to them. But uh, so thank you for that for going through. Is there anything else that you want to share about what you're up to today? No, no, that's great. Besides, besides uh, making sure my doll doesn't go wild. That's that's it. Don't worry about it. Man. <laughs> Absolutely, I, seriously, don't worry about it. Um, so how did you end up here where you are? What was it in your life, your education or your childhood, or your family that you look back and you're like, okay, it makes sense that I'm here where I am helping people, telling their stories, telling my story. Is there anything that kind of stands out from when you were a kid or young or in school that kind of said, okay, it makes sense that I ended up here. It's so, it's so funny you're saying this. So yesterday I was being interviewed and I told the person that was interviewing me, I said, if you look back in your life, there you've been being set up for where you're at right now your whole entire life and if you really sit and do the research like you really think like okay like where did i come from like what and i you just never know why you're going through some of these things and then you land where you're supposed to land you're like okay i get it like for me my mom you know was is very religious and so we have to go to church with her and every like once every two months, I, I remember being eight years old, we'd have to read a Bible scripture in front of the congregation, right? And I'm eight, so I'd have to read like Deuteronomy 3.13 or whatever it is in front of this. And and I'm trying to pronounce these words, you know, like I'm talking about like, you know, talking about Ezekiel and, you know, all these different words in front of this group. So I'm like, okay, that's something. And then... When I got injured, you know, I got a contract to play professional basketball and I got injured, you know, week before I was supposed to go and I started coaching basketball. Every single day I had to inspire every day, every second I had to inspire because I had a group of young men that didn't believe. Right. And I had to get them focused on a common goal, you know, like it's cause over self. Right. It's what do we all want to accomplish here? So when you're in the locker room, giving that talk to your guys and you're down by 15 at the half. Right. And that you can see in their eyes, they don't know if we can come back from it. You know, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm pouring into people. So I think my whole entire life, I've been pouring into people. I've been trying to encourage people. And that's what I do now. I'm an, I'm an encourager. Um, I try to inspire people. I think motivation is intrinsic. I think it comes from within. But if I can inspire some action or ins yeah. inspire some thought, then the motivation comes after. That's why, like what I mentioned before, you just kind of sometimes it, all it takes is to wake somebody up to it, to help them mm -hmm. realize it. So, Cordell, what did what did your path to now look like? We don't have to go day to day, but what yeah. were like the what were the high points like education, family? What what was the path that got you to where you are today and what you're doing? Yeah. So my work ethic comes directly from my mom. You know, my mom, you know, raised five kids by herself. Uh, my father passed on was about four years old and, you know, left my mom to raise all of us and work three jobs. So just watching my mom work is why I'm so crazy in terms of my work ethic. When I was 16 years old, I picked up a basketball and I put all of that work ethic into one thing. And I, when I say I was tunnel vision focused, that was it. There was no, you know, oh, let's go out, let's hang out, let's go party. Let's, 
There was none of that. It was just basketball because my purpose for basketball was to get good enough where my mom doesn't have to work anymore. So I'm like, if I can play professional basketball and kind of let this woman rest, right? Mission accomplished. I love the game. I don't care about the money. I just love the game. So when I got to the point where I was proficient and I tell people all the time, like I was horrible for four years. Like imagine being horrible at something for four or five years and people telling you how horrible you are on a daily basis, like telling me how I wasn't good or how I wouldn't do this and how I wouldn't do that. You know, people ask me like what my, why my mindset is so strong. It's not like it can't be affected, but man, I've had practice. I've been doing the reps. Like I, I did five years of people telling me I'm garbage <laughs> at something that and, I love. And that's that's a long time for people to to have that impression because yeah. people have that impression usually after a day or two, like all right, then then that's it. So yeah. a month, you know, much less yeah. a year, much less four <laughs> or five years. That's incredible. Yeah, but see, I had this goal in mind, and the goal was stronger than their words. The goal was stronger than you know, me not feeling good to go out and shoot. The goal was stronger than all that, right? Yeah. So when I got a contract, I, you know, I went to North Dakota, played college basketball, met my wife there, came back home, got a contract, played professional basketball overseas. And then week before I was supposed to go, I ruptured my Achilles. And I, I tell people the hardest part of that situation wasn't the injury. The injury sucked. Don't get me wrong. The hardest part was the next day, seeing my mom drive off to one of the jobs, I told her she never had to work again. That was the hardest part. Like the injury, I knew I was going to get better at some point. But I felt like I let my mom down. And when you go after something and put all your eggs in one basket and there's nothing else but that thing, right, but that basket, and then you see it like in a second get what I felt taken away from me, right? I was just – I was devastated for like 24 hours, and people are like, well, you know, how did you get, you know, you know, past it? And how I was like, you don't get past things. That's not how our mind works. Right. I still remember it like it was yesterday when I got injured. I still remember being let down. You get through things. And I said, that's the difference. You know, I, I, your subconscious keeps everything. Right. So I don't get past. I didn't get past. I got through it. And I got through it by working out, training and getting myself back. And then eventually getting the opportunity to coach basketball. I coached for 13 years, I opened up my first business when I started coaching, training kids. And I started seeing these kids accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. They start playing professional basketball, some of them. And I'm like, man, I said, this, I don't know why, but this feels better than me accomplishing that. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, was like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's because it sounds weird. I don't know if it's because, okay, if I experience it, unless I'm looking in a mirror, I can't see it. Yeah. Right. But if you're seeing other people, you're seeing it play out in front of you. And there's yeah. just something more palpable about seeing somebody else do it. I, it's I, such, I it's a, well, it's such a good point though. Right. I, I'm seeing someone grow right from like egg to like blossoming into the chicken. Like I see it. Right. So, and to take kids on a journey, and go through every part of that journey with them. And you know when they were terrible, you know when they had these hard times, you know when they want to quit, and then see them fight through that. That's big. So when people ask me, like, well, how'd you get to speaking? You were coaching, you want to coach a visual basketball. How the speaking thing happened? I said, Facebook. I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, I was on Facebook one day. This is like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, on Facebook, reading my timeline. It is ultra negative, like more negative than it usually is. 
And I'm like, wow, people wake up and this is what they see every single day. Like this is their morning coffee. They're drinking their latte and they're reading about Mary talking trash to Patricia, right? Or Mark's political views and how he hates whatever group fill in the blank. So I had a book of positive quotes. I started taking the quotes out of the book and putting them online every day. They weren't my own. People liked it. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this every single day. And then one day I woke up. I couldn't find the book. The book was nowhere. It's 5 a.m. Book was nowhere. I'm like, did wake up my wife because I didn't want to die. But I was just like (laughs) (laughs) creeping around the house, right? And like looking for the book, nothing. So I made my own quote. And people still liked it. So I'm like, well, screw the book. I'm going to make my own quote every day. So every day I made my own quote. And after a couple of months, a good friend of mine, Stephanie, i never forget, we we're in this place called Panera Bread. We're eating. And she goes, where do you get your quotes from? I go, well, I just make them up. She goes, that's amazing. She's like, you should write a blog. I said, what the hell is a blog? I never heard of a blog. Before. I thought it was like some type of disease. And <laughs> she's like, I can, she's like, I, I have my laptop outside. I can do like a landing page. We can create a blog right now. I said, go get it. So she went out there, got a computer, and I wrote my first blog. It was a paragraph long. It was called Risk. And the web, the URL was powerofpositivity.net. And every Saturday, I write a blog. And after a while, I started seeing the analytics. And there were people from Germany and people from Vietnam. And like, I'm a cat from Jersey. Like, why are these people like reading my blog? So I was like, I'm going to write a book. And I Googled, how do you write a book? And I wrote my first book. It was called The Power of Positivity Control Where the Ball Bounces. And then after I wrote my first book, I was like, well, I want to go and share my story. And I had no formal training. Like, you know, I had life training, but no one telling me, like, say this, don't say this. It was just trial and error. And for the first year, I got paid in high fives and hugs. Right? Like, hey, we love what you did. Thank you. And I'm like, well. Which probably uh, still feels good anyway. I mean, obviously, it doesn't pay the bills, but. Yeah. It felt great. I mean, I would come home and my wife, my wife would be like, well, you went to San Jose for a day and came back. And that's like a $500 ticket. You know, she's like, I got your back. But like, you know, we have to we have a, a child now. Like we have to pay for diapers, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. but I had but I had this utter belief in myself that eventually it was going to change. And there was a story I tell people when I first started speaking these guys asked me to write a blog for them. Um, their company was called Ula. And I said, all right, I wrote a blog. And they said, well, we're doing an event in June. You want to come out and speak at it? They had no idea that I never spoke like professionally, like, you know, professionally yet. Yeah. I said, yeah, no problem. Where is it? It's in Vegas. Cool. I hang up the phone. My wife goes, did you ask who you're speaking to? I said, no. She goes, well, you might want to call them back and see what the audience is. So I call him back. I said, oh, by the way, um, what's the audience? 200 chiropractors. Okay. So I get on the phone. They're like, do you have a uh, <laughs> do you have a PowerPoint? I'm like, I haven't had a PowerPoint since college. So I'm like, yeah, I got a PowerPoint. So we I do like three <laughs> slides. I send it yeah. over to him. I fly out, right? And on my dime, and I get on stage, and it's like a 45-minute talk. They stand up. Everybody's clapping. The guys come running over to me. They give me this big hug. And they go, Cornell, that was great. How long have you been talking for? And I go, about 45 minutes. And they're like, you never, like, this is your first, like, I was like, this is my first, like, real speech. Yeah. And I was like, they're like, you you look like you've been doing it for so long. I was like, well, 
One, I'm talking about something I believe in. And two, mm. it's me. Yeah. I'm not being anybody else. I don't have a mask on. I'm not trying to be the next anybody. And from that event, I was hired for the first time to speak in Michigan and Wisconsin. And I got paid. That's the first time I ever got paid. Michigan and Wisconsin. And I didn't even know what to charge. The lady said, well, what do you charge per talk? And I'm like, I'll get back <laughs> Hug, to you. Hugs and high fives. <laughs> I said, are you a good hugger? Do you guys like to high five out there in Michigan? And um, yeah. it was the first time I got paid. And then from there, like 2015, strategically, I said, man, how can I get my, like, really get my, my name out there? I said, I want to speak in another country because we never had the means to travel when I was younger. So going to another country was just, it was just never going to happen. So I said, you know, I had a kid that I trained for basketball that lived in England. So I said, do you guys ever have people come on and do basketball clinics? He's like, coach, where I'm at, basketball is horrible. He's like, they, they would love to have you out here. I said, okay, great. So I was like, can you book, set something up? He set it up. Then I contacted this lady from LinkedIn that's from England. That's why she's an event planner. I said, do you have any events coming up in the week of blah, blah, blah? We actually have a banquet. You want to come speak at it? 100%. We don't have a budget. Cool. Can I sell my books? Yeah, no problem. So I set that up. So then I set up a couple of radio interviews, right? And it's just from people that I'm like seeing what they do and reaching out. So 2015, I fly into to England for the first time. Never been. Come out the airport. I have this address with like all these numbers and weird streets. I go up to the taxi cab driver and I go, you know, uh, hi, can you, can you take me here? He looks it down at the paper and he looks at me and he looks down at the paper and he goes, mate, and points and my hotel's right behind me. Like, it's like literally, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm here and I'm walking down these cobblestone roads and I'm saying to myself, I want kids that are, are in situations like mine to understand that there's more than just their city blocks. There's more than just kind of their bubble. And once I went to England the first time, I said, I'm going to come back here. I've been to England. I've spoken to England like seven times in the last, you know, six, seven years. Uh, and I've been Switzerland and Africa and Dubai and Saudi Arabia and these different places. And I said, I never wanted to travel because I didn't have the means. And that blocked me, even as an adult, from being curious about what the world looks like. And as soon as I got over there, then my curiosity was like, now we need to see more. Right. So it was just it was just an amazing. It's been an amazing ride. And there's so many things that I'm going to do that. I, and I want to do that. I'm like just kind of mapping out like, OK, this is where I want to go. This is who I want to speak to. But to anybody that is, you know, in the beginning stage or wants to start up, you know, I did this solo. My wife does my website and uh, she luckily, you know, didn't leave. And she's still here, which is great. Um, and if you have a support system, and if that support, even if the support system is just yourself, you know, if you really believe in what you do, you just go out and do it because we don't have a lot of time on this rock. You know, eventually, you know, our time is our time is gone. And uh, you know, while you're here, you want to do all the things that you're you're curious about doing. Yeah, and I think when you realize we don't have that much time, and you want to, and you do want to make a difference, I think it helps with overcoming that fear. Mm. You know, there's just that curiosity you have. Um, it's amazing, Cornell, how much we realize we don't have we don't have that understanding that we do have control of what we can do. In most mm -hmm. cases, it's just a matter of getting started. It's just a matter of being curious. 
It's just a matter of trial and error that it doesn't have to work out from the get-go because so many people give up. Say, you know, whoever you had reached out in, in some of your stories, if they said, no, we're all set, somebody probably would have stopped there. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have gone to that next door. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is a game of numbers. Like you do have to make your own luck. It sounds like such a cliche, but um, that's what you mean when you pin, put in the work is just trial yeah. and error. It's it's not it's not a beautiful script necessarily. It yeah. can be ugly, but. Yeah, that's that's such a good sentence. Like it could be ugly and you have to be ready for that. Right. Like you have to be ready for the ugly. Like you have to be ready for the fact that there's you're going to get thousands of no's. One yes can change your life, though. Absolutely. One and can, yeah. And it can pay dividends. Yeah. And one no can change your life. One one door slam can change your life. So it's that's, not just a yes. Yeah. That's what I realized the last couple of days. I saw something online and I shared it and it was about rejection. And it was like, listen, everything. I don't want to I don't want to put down another cliche. I'm known for cliches, but everything happens for a reason. Even the no's, you know, yep. what if they said yes and they they took your time, they took your energy, they took your effort and didn't you didn't get you didn't get um, value out of it. Not that it's all about our value, but you didn't grow. You didn't develop. You didn't, you know, achieve what you should have been achieving. Meanwhile, if you kept going, yeah, the no is just as, as powerful as the yes. That's a very 100%. good point. So 100%. with that as a backdrop, with that as the foundation, the book, having just read it myself in the last week, and I, I swear I bought it. It's right here. <laughs> Why don't you, yeah, introduce the book and, um, um, yeah, just introduce the book, how you came across it, and the overview of it. Yeah. So the book is All the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. Uh, I think we all know who Dr. Seuss Most people know who Dr. Seuss is. Uh, Green Eggs and Ham and a Cat million other hat. books, right? Cat in the Hat, right? And I would say that this book, All the Places You'll Go, was probably... I want to say I was coaching basketball. So it was probably like around 2004, 2005. And there was a basketball player from Jersey who was in the NBA, NBA for a little bit. And they asked him what his favorite book was. He's, a, you know, he went to a prep, private school, went to Notre Dame. Like you're thinking some like really, you know, philosophical type book, you know, very academia. And he goes, oh, all the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss. I remember sitting back like, what did this guy just say? Did he just say like a Dr. Seuss book? That was my reaction when you responded to me, which you want to go over. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like, John, mine was no hesitation, right? Like I was like, boom. And I'm looking at the interview. I'm like, well, I got to look up this book. I got to read this book. And I read the book and I got teared up. I teared up because the book to me, and I've read tons of books. There's not a better description of life than in that book. Agreed. And that's and that's what the book means to me. It's just it's a it's the best description of life broken down in layman's terms that I that I've ever read. Without giving, you know, it, it's it's obviously a relatively short book without giving too much away. Can you give an overview of like the story of it, I guess? Yeah. If you want to put it that way. Well, the story uh follows and the thing I love about it, there's a character, but it, that character can be anybody. That character is all of us. And it follows the character through all the trials and tribulations. The character character from beginning to end, there's a narrator that is saying all the things that could or could not happen to the character in life, right? Some of them very good, some of them very bad. They're talking about traps, 
in life that the character can be stuck in, right? Like you could be stuck in this place where everybody's waiting, or you could be go down this street where you shouldn't, right? Or you can go here, you know, fame and all the beautiful things that are happening. So it just illust perfectly illustrates this roller coaster of life in the highs and the lows and the ups and downs. Yeah, that the the waiting place that yeah. one stood out just because the the character had already been through so much. Yeah, you know they they had their confidence, so they were at their high, and then it was like you know they'll care about you until they don't, and it gets kind of like ominous and it drops off. Yeah, and then they start questioning themselves, and then it talks about this waiting place, and it lists like what people can be waiting for, right? Yeah, whatever they're waiting on. But it was just so representative of. For me, it was just such a journey i wish that this book was required reading even in high school but yeah. with breaking down the lessons much as you said because it yeah. was kind of that waiting place stands out the most because if we try something and it doesn't wor work out it's amazing how tentative we can become or yeah. how complacent we, be we can become because we were tested a little it didn't work out we failed quote failed something didn't work out and then we start to question ourselves and just wait for something to happen yeah. instead of being proactive so that one i love that it focused a lot on that one because it listed what all these people are waiting for and it's just representative of people waiting for their time to come yeah. people waiting for the luck to reach them people yeah. waiting for whatever their ship is to come in yeah john can i can i read that page yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when I, I've, I've been reading this book to my kids since they were, you know, before they can understand it words, right? And when I'd say right before that page, I'd say, you know, a most unfortunate place. And my kids would both say together, the waiting place, right? Because they know what's happening. So I have this page on my phone. It says, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for a Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. And in that picture, you see people it looks like a doctor's office. People are just sitting there and so many of them have this blank expression. Like life is just passing them by and they're just waiting. And the, yeah. Uh, let me see if it comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you're in there. The, the thing that's beautiful about that, John, there's different professions there's different, like, you know, one lady has, like, someone has an umbrella, like, right, like, mm. we're, I'm, I'm waiting for the rain to come. Like, if you think about that sentence alone, that sentence is so layered, waiting for the rain to come. That rain can be any adversity that you can think of, right? How many people do we know have their umbrella out in the sun, waiting for rain that is not coming to come, right? They have this nihilistic view of the earth, right? Like, everything is bad, yeah. right? We're waiting for the phone to ring. I'm waiting for opportunity. Somebody's going to call me instead of being proactive and picking up the phone and making those calls yourself, right? The waiting place is my, my, that one. And there's a page where it talks about, you know, the things you'll do with that ball will make you the winningest winner of all. Like for yeah. me, basketball wise, right? Okay. 
you know, I'm like, you know, I, I love that one. Like, you know, then they're like fame. And it's like, until you're not right. Cause it's always that caveat. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're famous, but guess what? Then you cannot be famous or then you have to retire. Right. But the waiting place, um, was such, was such a good one in, in the sentence when they says, you know, or waiting for like a Friday night, you know, how many people go to work on Monday waiting for Friday? Yeah. Right? That's a good one. That's a good one. It's a big one. There's so, it's, it's just so, it, the book is so layered, right? Like my favorite author is Malcolm Gladwell. And, you know, when I read his book, sometimes I'm like, I got to reread this like chapter over again, because this dude is going into a different matrix of whatever these words are, but there's nothing more layered for me than this book because every sentence is so powerful and has like multiple meanings to the sentence and it's in a rhyme form, right? Like this, it's in a rhyme form for like kids, right? And it, it's like, it's just, it blows my mind every time I read it. Yeah. I was talking about, uh, I think it was a different interview I was doing a couple of days ago and somebody brought up Shel Silverstein and, and um, there was one more author they brought up, but it was a children's book um, not discussed for the episode, but it, they just happened to bring it up and they talked about how Shel Silverstein had a tough life. I don't know the specifics, but that how he incorporated it into his writing, those lessons. And, you know, there are Disney movies where, um, you know, it's it's drawn and it's the audio is for the kids, but then there are subtle messages there. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, obviously it's adults writing all of these things and infusing these messages. But again, the message of this is just powerful in that waiting room. Even when you were reading it, yeah. just the example of people's the people and what they could be waiting for, just that list and envisioning somebody sitting really waiting for their life to begin, for their life to take off, for the opportunity to show up gave me anxiety as you were reading it yeah because yeah. I, i've i've been in that boat before where we're like years ago it was like what about me when's my time gonna come and it can lead to anxiety it can lead to sadness it could lead to depression it could lead to disappointment discouragement and then we don't really know we're not really what's crazy is this is a children's book but it's not a lesson that we're taught in school you know, we're given the tools, we're given the curriculum, you know, this is what you need in math. Here's history that happened so many hundred years ago. This, these are all the things that you need to know, or in college, this is what you need for your, your trade or your skills or your, whatever it may be, but we're not ever taught anything about coping. We're not ever really taught about what life really is. You know, mm -hmm. it may be a program that colleges and schools supplement the curriculum with but the curriculum itself doesn't have that and that's like the foundation of everything yeah it's Why insane you, i was a professor at a, a college i taught freshman seminar when i was coaching basketball and all my students had to read who moved my cheese which is another short powerful amazing freaking book <laughs> that my mom gave me when i was uh when i got injured she gave me that book and i, I couldn't believe how simplistic and intrinsic, like in detailed, this book, I'm like, this is so simple. Like a third grader could pick this up and read it. But the meaning of this, the meaning of what this, like, that's what I feel when I read this book. And I, you know, Dr. Seuss, obviously his mind was a, way ahead of his time. I don't think, I don't know if the timeline that we're in will ever catch up to his mind. I think there's some people that weren't, people will understand, but I don't think we'll truly catch up. Like it is like a Nikola Tesla of like writing, right? We won't catch it. But like for him to put these messages 
it's almost like it's in like code, right? Like it's in like this, I'm going to put this in this children's book, these secrets to life. And if you can kind of decipher these secrets to life, right, you're going to start living a more successful one. So I, I just, I just love it. Like my only thing is I wish I could have, you know, talked to Dr. Seuss and just say, my man, kudos, like what you did, like this book changed my life. It like really changed my life. And that's something what you said about legacy. You know, sometimes, you know, we don't get a chance to give the people the flowers that impact us. That's why I'm always telling people how great they are when I think that they're great. I'll, like, I'll say, hey, John, like, this was amazing. Like, I always want you to know, like, while you're here, yes. that, man, you're an impact on my life. Like, this has been phenomenal. Yeah. Because there's so many people in history that you look at, they're like, I can't give the person, like, I, you know, everything happens for a reason. It was funny you said that because my mom raised us on that. And I didn't understand when I was younger, I didn't come fully understand because I'm like, well, why would my father not be here? You know, that phrase doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't I have my dad? And it wasn't until I became a father and held my son where I realized because I appreciate the role of fatherhood 60 million times more. Like, I want to be the best dad on the planet every single day because I didn't have a father. And I want to make sure my kids have that experience. Right. So sometimes the reason that the things happen, you might it might outlive you. You might not experience it like Martin Luther King didn't see the impact fully that he had. He was mm. he was he was murdered. Right. Yeah. He didn't get to see he didn't get to see it. But yet here we are with Martin Luther King Day. He doesn't know it's Martin Luther King Day. Right. Yeah. So it's like sometimes That's a great the, point. The things that happen, they outlive you. And you had mentioned it earlier before about you don't know. It's kind of in the same vein of this conversation, but you don't know what something is for until you look back at it. Mm. And I had I had covered that that kind of point um, the other day in talking about the alchemist with somebody where there's mm. a, a line in there, something to the effect of, you know, whatever you're doing now won't make sense until you reach your treasure or whatever it is. And it's true. I mean, you and I have both talked about it here, our, our lives and, and what looking back means, where even if you're in on that path and it's haphazard and it's traps and it's ugly stuff and it's um, um, just disappointments, it all serves a purpose. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't, I've had this conversation with other guests as well, where we kind of wish that we knew what we know now then that yeah. we wish that we knew all these things younger, but at the same time, not knowing it then and going down certain paths led us to who we are today. I wouldn't trade anything in the world for the conversation I'm having with you today, because now I feel like I'm in this state of flow. Now I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, mm -hmm. hearing someone's story, being curious, being a leadership coach. And I didn't get that until later in life. So I'm a late bloomer in that sense, but all of that other shit makes sense because it all contributed or allowed me to head down this particular path. That's why I always ask people what what was what was the trigger for you or what what did your path look like? Yeah. And, and most often it's like I kind of fell into this. So this was later in life or I tried something else and it didn't work out. Even yeah. your story about wanting to go to the MBA to take care of your mom. Um look at the dividends would you have paid the same kind the same impact of dividends i'm sure you would have provided quality experience value for anybody whichever path you took but just the ripple effect of what you're doing now maybe versus what you might have been doing in your other path had you not been injured 
I don't know. It's just mo so much more of a ripple effect. Yeah. And you said so yourself. You you almost found it more rewarding seeing somebody else going down that path instead of you yourself. And look at just what you're leaving in your wake by having that impact on other people. There's thousands and thousands of people I never would have met. I never would have impact. I never would have inspired. One hundred. Like I said to myself when I started doing this full time and stopped coaching. I said, do you want to impact a locker room or do you want to impact, impact the planet? And that's your choice. And either choice is fine. Yes. You're making an impact. Either choice is fine. Now, yes. everybody's meant to go out. I said, but I do think, Cornell, you were created to do more. Like, I do think that you're one of the ones. You know, you're one of the ones that selected. Like, you got big shoulders for a reason. You take on people's stuff, right? Like, you're one of the ones, right? And now... What are you going to do with your assignment? I get goosebumps saying to you this to you, John. Like, what are you going to do with your freaking assignment? Like, I was signed, assigned to do this. And that's why, like, I don't, you don't see me on Instagram being someone else. Like, I'm going to be the next blah, 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 and, like, pumping people up and all this bullshit. Like, no, I'm going to be Cornell Thomas. And it's going to take me a little bit longer to get to where some of these cats are that are, like, you know, whatever. But I'm going to get there as myself. Yeah. Right. And there's nothing there's not there's no greater feeling than going somewhere as yourself mm. and not having to be somebody else. Right. So, like, I know my assignment. I'll die for my I'll, I would die for my assignment. Right. And that's why when I show up on stage, doesn't matter if it's five, five hundred, five thousand, whatever people are there. People are like, wow, man, like you're really I'm bringing it all the time because that's what I was assigned to do. Yeah. Well, that was great. That comment that the guy had or the question, you know, how long have you been doing this? Because yeah. you look like a natural up there. And there's just something about when you when you really click with what you're supposed to be doing versus, um, yeah, earlier in your life, you may be trying to be something else. Not mm -hmm. you specifically, all of us in general. We're like, we think this is what it's supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing like clicking and falling into place into knowing who you're supposed to be or working in that direction. We're always works in progress. Mm -hmm. But when it's such a high, you get in that flow state when you really realize what you're meant to be sharing with the world. And I mean, even when you shared that when you read um, this book and like you had tears in your eyes or you teared up, like I almost teared up as well just mm -hmm. hearing you say that because when I read it, I'm like, man, this is powerful. Yeah. You know, when you told me you this is the book, I had the same reaction as you had to your basketball player. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm like, no, this is Cornell. Like, there's there's got to be a reason that he picked this book. Yeah. Um, I picked it up, read it. I'm like, oh, that's what this is about. And, yeah. you know, and I could see the entrepreneurial journey in there. I could see the life journey in there. I could see the idea of failure in there. I could see the idea of thinking maybe you're too good for the tough roads in your town, so you're going to get out of town. I, mm -hmm. They were just... Each each page, each section was just such a lesson of life. And it, it would have helped if somebody kind of said, you know, this is what you might see in your life. Um, again, I think it's just something that we should have read when we were younger because it's not going to solve your problems, but it's going to open up your eyes that it's not going to be all pretty and, and scripted and play out the way you think. Yeah, I love it. It's going to give you a different perspective. Yeah. And, if you, and like you said, I truly believe it. I'm not talking about the teachers. I'm talking about the system. The educational system has failed us for a very long time. Um, they're not educating us to survive life. It's like someone saying, Cornell, uh, in two in two months, you're going to be out in the wilderness, right? And you're going to have to live on your own, hunt, do your, your own, like get your own food, blah, blah, blah. And to prepare you for that, we're going to put you in the wall of Astoria for the next two months, right? And we're going <laughs> to wait on you hand and foot. And then you send me out to the woods and I'm like, 
wait a second, where's the butler? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like what, what's going on here? Right. And, and that's what we do to these kids. We send these kids off and then we wonder why, you know, they're not doing what they're supposed to do or, you know, when they get out of college or they're lost or whatever. Well, most kids have a $250,000 bill to pay when they get out of college. So they're already 250 grand in the, in the red. That's going to get paid when they're 80 years old. Right. So that's the first negative. Second, we haven't given them any of the life skills, the life skills they've gotten. Hopefully, if they didn't party every weekend is socially handling that college environment. Right. Time management. I can't go party. I got to go do my studies or like this is a weird vibe here. I'm going to stay away from that. Like I'm going to just start reading people better. Right. Like you hope that's what you get out of college, because when I got my degree, I was like, cool. I memorized everything that I got. And like, great, I can't pass one test after graduation. Like, give me one of those 401 tests right now, I'll fail it. Yeah. Right? So yeah. It, it's yeah. just, I, I would, I wanted to at some point, and I, I keep saying this, I want to put this out in the world. I want to at some point open up my own school of entrepreneurship, you know, for kids and have sports teams mm. and all that and have educators there and like have it in Jer Jersey and bus in kids from all over different places right and have it like a melting pot and have the best educators in there and bring in people like yourself john people that do leadership performance and talk to these kids about self-leadership and working as a team and belief and confidence and understanding that you were created once and you'll never be created again these are the things that kids need to be told on a daily freaking basis that they're not being told i agree and plus i mean this world that we're growing up in is a lot different than when you and i grew up cornell yep, yep. like Fact. social media the proliferation of social media that it's everywhere you mentioned like um you know you, you do need some curriculum yet but they're, they're not taught about life and beyond that the ugly side they're not taught about coping mm. and there's so many mental health issues out there and you, can you blame kids because of just that proliferation of social media? There's yep. no disconnection from school. There's no disconnection from somebody else, you know, your friends. Like we're humans. We're only meant to see so much, mm -hmm. you know? So I've tried to stay away from social media except for like professional stuff, mm -hmm. LinkedIn. But when I scroll through Facebook, like I, I feel it draining me. It's yeah. not FOMO. It's not any of that stuff, but it's taken away from time that I could be doing something for myself, for my family. And I stopped going on Facebook a while ago and it's just changed my approach. Like it, it's more energy into what I'm all about. So yeah, if you ever get to the point where you do launch some kind of school like that, count me in. I'm trying to get something off the ground uh, with a local college of uh, kind of coaching kids that are kind of doing a podcast, not so much coaching, but just having conversations with mm -hmm. kids that are coming into college. Um, they're seeing more kids coming to them with anxiety, with depression, yeah. with all these different issues, and they're seeing those numbers rise. So it's not about therapy. It's not necessarily about coaching, but it's about having real conversations, answering questions, or just being an outlet so that they see that there are people out there that can answer those tough questions. So there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. When you, Whenever you get to the point, let me know, just because I think that's that's the, that's the the toolkit that kids need is exactly what you've spoken about. Yeah, it's it, we're we're gonna make it happen. You get that far, be like John, it's ready. Let's go, brother. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You, you know, I follow through on what I say. Yes, sir. I I would love to see that, Cornell. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share? Yeah. Well, one, just thank you. You know, I I, I want to thank you for bringing me on. 
Uh, I think energetically, I think people don't realize that energy connects us more than anything. It connects, connects us more than hue, connects us more than gender, connects us more than, you know, who you pray to, any of that stuff. It's just your energy. And when we met John energetically, right, we were already locked in. I was like, well, this is my soul brother. I, I knew him from somewhere else, some some time ago, somewhere. It's, right? it's weird how that happens. It's, it's so and, weird and, how that happens. But it's everywhere. Like when you're open to it, like I always say this, when you're open to energetic connection, it's like when you first think about buying a new car, you see that car everywhere for the first time. You've never seen that car before. Next thing you know, your neighbor has the car. It's down the street. You pull up to a light. The car's next to you. Because as soon as you open your mind up to something, you open it up to that thing, it it presents itself. It's like, you hey, start, I've been You start seeing it more. 100%. So I'm always open to that energetic con connection. And I have it in the airport. I have it when I speak. I have it on the phone. I have it in the supermarket. Same as you. People meet you and they're like, yo, that John dude is a cool cat, man. Like, I want to stay in contact with him. Because just energetically, you have this open space where you allow people in. So I just want to say, man, just keep doing what you're doing, brother. I can't wait to, to do more things together. That's That's such a good point. That's another piece that um students need to hear about is that piece mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's it's as existential but they need to hear that so much because so often they just stay in the energy that they're in yeah you know they don't know the game of numbers where you have to go out there and you have to explore and connection doesn't always look a certain way there are other forms of connection that's just huge and i realize that more and more how important that energy is so i'm glad we found each other i'm glad we yeah, can man. collaborate in whatever capacity so anything you're down for uh sign me up and um, Appreciate you. and i want to definitely have you back on because obviously you're an author yourself you just launched a book uh two years ago you said cornell yeah yeah why, yeah. Don't, why don't you just give a, a little blurb about yeah. that book just so people yeah. can learn about that the book is uh the book is called game of death an entrepreneur survivor guide Okay. And it is it is all the real stuff when it comes to entrepreneurship. It's not the fluffy rented Lamborghini for an IG video crap that you see. Like one of the one of the chapters is titled ramen noodles, right? Like <laughs> get used to the different flavors, right? Like when you want to be an entrepreneur, like just get used to the different flavors because that's what it takes to actually run a business. And I have I think it's 30 entrepreneurs from all over the world that are answering three questions like why did you want to be an entrepreneur you know what when when did you discover that you wanted to be one and what was your what was your biggest struggle and how did you overcome it so in between the chapters of my writing you have an entrepreneur from dubai you have an entrepreneur from new york city you have an entrepreneur from wisconsin one from saudi arabia one from australia wherever right answering that same question and the reason i did that is because you find out that we're all going through the same stuff Right. We That's all have the same struggles. Right. Yeah. So the book is it's my longest book. It was like one hundred and five pages, which is my longest book. And uh, it's I'm just so proud of it. You know, I'm so proud of the book and I'm proud of the fact that I can at least give entrepreneurs some real tools on how to get Teflon, this mindset, because if it's a business you really want, you have to understand that life's going to punch that business and you in the mouth multiple times before it's successful. Right. Just yeah. stick with it and keep fighting. It's great that you're sharing those stories because most of us have that feeling that if something bad happens, we tend to think that it's only happening to us. So if yeah. we see that other people experience, too, you don't feel like such an outsider and you can take those chances knowing that everybody's going through the same shit. Shared suffering. Right. Like yeah. when people go, people go to CrossFit 
not because they didn't want to do 7,000 burpees with a chain around their neck, <laughs> right? They go to CrossFit because it's shared suffering. We're all going through the same thing. I'm getting my ass whipped in here. You're getting your ass whipped in here. Let's do it together, brother or sister. Let's slap hands. Let's get through the hour together. That's why. Because it's a sense of community. And if if we just stop playing the same game that our ancestors played, right, and playing and appeasing to the system and, you know, being divisive and, and, and separating over the just the dumbest stuff in the world, like where our ancestors migrated to, like if we just stop that and realize that we came together as a community of people, the good people, there are a-holes, get me, don't yeah. get me wrong, yeah. like not them. But the good people, there's more good in this world than, than bad and evil. If we came together, man, man, the world would be a different place for our children, for their children, their children. That's my main thing is like my kids growing up and your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. Long after we're gone, I want to make sure that the world starts making a turn in the better. So maybe, you know, my great grandkids will see something that looks a little bit different than me. Absolutely. And Cornell, the book is on Amazon. It's yeah. Okay. Yeah. The book's on Amazon. I'm in a Bruce Lee uh, yellow jumper. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Game of death. Yeah. yeah. Game of death. So it's a, uh, it's, it's great. I'm going to be tour. I'll be doing a book tour for it. Uh, hopefully in the next couple months, I got to just set it up. So I might be coming to a town near you. It just depends uh, on where you're at. And you're also speaking at the Women in Business Summit coming up, right? Let's go. Yes, sir. Next week, I'm with Keisha, my buddy Keisha Zulu. She's uh has a Women in Business. I think I'm on at uh, 11 or 12 o'clock or something. This is my second time speaking at it. Uh, so I'm speaking there in Connecticut to, uh, next week. Yeah. When I share this, I'm going to share the um, the info for the for the WIB yeah. too. And I'll have, I'll have my books there. I'll have, the, I'll have the book there. I'll be doing a book signing there as well. So come All on right. out and uh, and check it out. All right, Cornell. Thank you for bringing. Yeah, I've always heard it. of this book, but thank you for bringing this book to my attention for you know this conversation that I could learn a little more about it. I think this is a book. Um, somebody had seen that I posted a picture on LinkedIn saying that this was going to be an upcoming episode. Uh, I had yeah, I had one coach say they've used it in their uh, mm -hmm. facilitations. I, I saw somebody else has a story about it that they want to uh, cover. So. Mm -hmm. um, Again, I've heard about it for a while. Now I know why. Now I know why it's so important to kind of read this book and, and heed its message. So thank you for introducing me to it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me, brother. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And if there's anything that anybody watching or listening feels that I might have missed, I mean, there's a lot to ask Cornell, uh, uh, Cornell about uh, just everything, everything that he's about or the book itself. Let me know or reach out to him. I'll put his contact information when I post this. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.